as, we're, as we look at Mark 11, um, I just want to draw your attention to a couple things before we read it. Now, we're continuing our series on encountering Jesus as we look at the Gospel of Mark. And um, we are now entering the last week of Jesus' life before the resurrection on earth. Um, but we're only two-thirds of the way through the Gospel of Mark. And this is true especially of Mar- uh, the Gospel of Mark and John. They spend a majority amount of time just focusing on this last week of Jesus' life. And that's because they understand it's, it's not a biography about Jesus. They understand that the essential thing that Jesus came to do was to die and to rise from the dead and conquer sin and death. And so they spend, Mark will spend chapters 11 all the way through 16 on this one week. And uh, John will spend chapters 12 all the way to 21 on one week of Jesus' life. Um, And it's because theologically it's a very important week. It's probably the most important week in history. And that now, as we turn to our text today, is the week that we enter. Uh, This week leading up to Jesus' death on the cross on Friday and then his resurrection on Sunday morning. So let's read Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. This is God's this is God's word to you God's people. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them Go into the village in front of you. Sorry I lost my spot. Go into the village in front of you and immediately as you enter it you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This ends the reading of God's word. Let me pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you you did not leave us on this earth wandering without a word from our maker, but you've given us everything we need for life and faith and godliness. So Lord, I pray now that as we open your word that you would open the eyes of our hearts and that we would see you for who you are, a good, courageous, righteous king who is coming back soon. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would be here and push the truth into our hearts. We need help. If we're going to listen, if I'm going to preach, we need your help. So would you be with us now? And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So five years ago, almost six years ago now, uh, my wife and I moved from Western North Carolina to Charlotte uh, for me to start seminary. And uh, we were broke. We were absolutely broke. Actually, we were worse than broke. We had negative money, debt, they call it. And we had no jobs, no real prospects of making money. I started driving as an Uber driver. Annalee was looking for work, uh, looking for a full-time job. This is before we had kids. We had no income. We moved in with my parents. They lived in Charlotte, so we moved in with them as, as newlyweds. That's the dream, isn't it? Um, anyway, needless to say, we, we were in financial distress. Um, we, we had no money. We weren't making any money. And there was no clear way of understanding where it was going to come from. And so who did we turn to? Who did we turn to for deliverance from our problem of financial distress? We turned to none other than the personal finance king, Dave Ramsey. And we followed Dave, Dave Ramsey. We did exactly what he said, everything that he said. If he said jump, we said how high. We, I listened to his radio show all the time to keep us going, get out of debt. We followed him anywhere and everywhere he told us to go. And he did with lots of hard work. He delivered us from this financial hardship. Now we have some savings. We don't have any debt. Um, I'm not trying to brag about our finances or anything. I'm just saying he delivered us from this financial hardship. As we look at our passage today, how does this relate? It relates because in our passage today, the Jews are in distress. They're in distress political, military um, distress, and they're looking for a deliverer. They're looking for a king, a savior to deliver them from this distress. But the Jews, they don't realize that their bigger problem, their biggest problem is not, is not a military, it's not a um, political problem, it's not that they're under Roman rule, but their big problem, which they're blind to, is their own sin. So Jesus comes, and they, they sing praises to him as the king they want him to be. They think that he's there to overthrow their political oppressors. And so they receive him as a, deliv- as a deliverer from Rome. But they've misidentified their big problem, and we, we often do the same. <clears throat> you see, whatever you think you need saving from will determine what savior, what king you will run to to deliver you. It will determine who you follow. And we all follow someone. Every human follows someone. We're looking for a savior, a king, to get us from where we are to where we want to be. And what we think we need saving from will determine who we follow. So like I said, if you think you need saving from money, Maybe you'll follow Dave Ramsey. He'll deliver you from your money problems. There was a time in my life where I thought I needed mostly saving from being out of shape, so I followed Tony Horton, P90X fitness guru. Maybe you want to be organized, so you follow Marie Kondo. Get your house in shape. I could go on. If if you think you need um, saving from boredom, you'll probably follow the twin princes of Netflix and Disney Plus. Um, If you think politics are your big problem, then you will give yourself completely to the next presidential candidate. 
The, the point is this, whatever you think you need saving from will determine who you follow, who you run to to deliver you. In the Jews, they're looking for a, a battle-hardened political king to overthrow the Roman Empire. And like the Jews, we often think we know what we need to be saved from. And so we follow kings that will never address our real problems, our big problem, our, our sin problem. That is our fundamental problem that every human faces and every human needs deliverance from. In our passage today, Jesus comes as a king, not the king that we want, not the king we expected, but the king we actually need, the king you actually need. So as you look at your uh, bulletin there, you'll see an outline, and we're basically going to be answering this question, Christian, what kind of king do you need? And you'll see four points printed there. First, you need a king who embraces suffering. So for three years now, Jesus has been traveling around doing ministry. And now for the first time, we're going to see, we're going to see things change. Let's look there at verses 1 and 2. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples... Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. So this is, this is new. This is different. For three years, Jesus has been traveling all around Israel and, and surrounding areas, and for the first time, he's going to get on a donk, donkey and ride a donkey. He's been on foot for three years, but something's changing. Something is happening. In this last week of his, his earthly ministry, he finally stops walking and rides a mule. And I think it goes, it's easy to, to miss this, it goes right over our head, but Jesus is a king who has been suffering willingly for his whole ministry. He never took the easy way out. Jesus did not take the easy way out. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 8, he says this about himself, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, that's Jesus, has nowhere to lay his head. I mean, have you ever thought about this, that Jesus walked everywhere? He walked walked everywhere, all around Israel, an entire country, and he didn't have to. I mean, this is the guy who fed the 5,000, But at the same time, he often went hungry himself. He's the one who made horses and mules, and yet he chose to walk. He chose to suffer with his people for his entire ministry here on earth until we enter this last week. And that's because this life, if you think back to the Exodus, it's like we are like the Israelites. We are wandering through the wilderness We have not made it to the promised land. We're out of the bondage of Egypt, but we're in the wilderness. We're wandering. It's a life of hardship and suffering. It's not an easy life. Life is hard. And so, just like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, this life is full of suffering. You can try to avoid it, but it's inevitable. 
And you may want a king who doesn't have to suffer, who leads you down a wide road that's straight and there's no twists or turns, there's no rocks to bump your toe on, but that is not King Jesus. You may want a king who, who leads you down an easy road, but that is not King Jesus. What you need, the king that you actually need, is a king who knows that this life is wilderness. It is hardship. It's full of hardship. You need a king who knows how to endure suffering and will show you how to endure suffering. And that's exactly what we have in Jesus. A king who did not avoid it. So I'll ask you this, as you follow Christ, where is God calling you to suffer for righteousness sake today? What area of your life is he calling you to suffer for righteousness sake, for his kingdom and his glory? You see, in in this life, following Jesus and avoiding suffering are opposites. They They are incompatible. You cannot do both. You will either avoid suffering or you will follow Christ. And we see that in the very life and ministry of Jesus. And keep in mind that Jesus embraced suffering for you. The reason he walked, the reason he rode into Jerusalem, the reason he lived at all was for you, for the love of his people. And this brings us to point two. Christian, what kind of king do you need? You need a king who is courageous. So we we just saw Jesus tells two of his disciples to go ahead and find a young donkey. And it seems like um, the Holy Spirit has has revealed this knowledge to him because supernaturally he knows um, where the donkey is he knows that it's never been ridden. He knows that probably someone's going to ask why they're taking it. Um, but they're going to be willing to let him borrow it. And Jesus knows all this. And of course, we see everything plays out exactly as Jesus says. And then we get to verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. So they, they throw their cloaks on the back of the donkey. They sort of make a, a makeshift saddle for Jesus. And then they, they roll out the red carpet, so to speak, both the disciples and then all these people that have just come out of the woodworks to welcome Jesus. Uh, we know from the Gospel of John that Jesus had recently healed or not healed, but raised Lazarus from the dead. So he, he's, uh, there's a lot of people that are coming out of the woodworks absolutely amazed and ready to follow this guy who defeats even death. So they roll out the red carpet. They've laid their cloaks on the ground and, and palm branches so that not even the feet of the donkey touch the ground. And this is essentially a coronation for Jesus. They are, they are recognizing Jesus as their king. The Jews see him and they see that he is a king. And this is, as I pointed out in the call to worship, this is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. I'll read it again. 
is as written 500 years, uh, maybe more, before Jesus, Jesus walked the earth. This was written, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's fulfilling this prophecy. For three years, he's, he's avoided the spotlight. We've seen this, uh, this theme throughout Mark. Jesus has silenced demons who would, who would uh, expose him and, and tell people, you are the son of God. He said, be quiet. He's intentionally left crowds, gone away from crowds um, to go to desolate places. But now everything changes. He rides into Jerusalem as a king. And they, they praise him and worship him as a king. They sing to him as a king. But there's a, there's a sort of irony happening here uh, because the people are praising him as this king. But meanwhile, Jesus knows that he is riding into Jerusalem not to be crowned as some political ruler of the Jews, but to be crucified with the sign over his head that says, King of the Jews. But make no mistake, Jesus knows what he's doing. He's riding in saying, I am a king. And the the fact that this horse, I mean, this uh, donkey has never been ridden makes it suitable for this purpose, the sacred purpose of coronation of a king. And this was uh, the first of many dominoes that would fall that would lead to Jesus' death. He is offending the powers that be, especially the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And we don't see it in this gospel, but in the gospel of Luke, the Pharisees pick up on this. They're deeply offended. And they say, as the people worship Jesus and and basically uh, call him their king, they say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They tell Jesus, you need to tell them to stop worshiping you. That's wrong. And Jesus replies, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You see, Jesus came to die, and he desired the whole city know that he was there. He wanted his death to be very public, to have many witnesses. And he understood that... Riding into Jerusalem on this donkey was going to lead to his death. He was signing his own death certificate as he rode in. Jesus came courageously. Not to face Rome, but to face sin, death, and hell. Jesus came to face uh, the, the enemy that only he could face. That the Jews had no idea they needed saving from. He came to rescue them. Do you think that Jesus was scared riding into Jerusalem on this Sunday afternoon? Do you think he was scared? Yes, I think he was. Not sinfully scared, but scared as a man. In Luke chapter 22, we get a, we get a glimpse into Jesus' angst. This is um, a few days later. In the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Jesus prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. In being in agony, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. You see, every step that Jesus took towards Jerusalem took courage. This is a man riding to his death. To say it another way, without courage, without the courage of Christ, we would all still be in our sin. Christian, you need a courageous king. And you have one in Christ. Will you follow him? Wherever he leads, will you follow him? Maybe uh, there's very few examples of courage that are better than Perpetua. Uh, Perpetua, maybe you've heard of her, maybe you haven't. Um, she, was, she lived about 1,800 years ago. Uh, so the year is 203 AD, about 200 years after Christ. The place is Carthage, which is northern Africa. At this point, it's ruled uh, by the Roman Empire. And in steps a young Christian woman, a new mom, with a small nursing child, her name, Perpetua. And she was a new convert, a new convert to Christianity, and she was going through a new membership class at her local church. But um, at the time, if you were a Christian and you would not sacrifice to the emperor, you were liable to be arrested and punished by death. And she, along with her other five uh, Friends that were in this new membership class were arrested. And we have her journal of her last days. Let me read to you this courageous Christian. This, this Christian who knows what it means to follow Christ. This is her words translated, of course, into English. <clears throat> While we were under arrest, my father, out of his love for me, tried to persuade me to shake my resolve. Father, I said, do you see this vase here? Yes, he said. Could it be called anything other than what it is? I asked. I asked him. He said, no. In the same way, I can't be called anything except what I am, a Christian. Okay, pause for a second. She's having this conversation with her father through through the bars of a jail cell. She goes on. My father was so angry at the word Christian that he made as if he would tear my eyes out. But he left it at that and departed, defeated along with his devilish arguments. During those few days, I was baptized and I was inspired by the Spirit to not ask for any other favor after the baptism except physical perseverance. A few days later, we were lodged in the prison. I was terrified as I had never been in such a dark hole. What a terrible time it was with the overcrowding, the heat was stifling. There was also the extortion of the soldiers, and on top of everything else, I was tormented with worry about my baby. I had to endure these trials for days. 
Then I obtained permission for my baby to be with me in prison. Immediately I regained my health, relieved of worry and anxiety about my child. Prison suddenly became a palace. I wanted to be there more than anywhere else. Then one day while we were having breakfast, we were suddenly rushed off to court. We arrived at the forum and immediately the news flew around the neighborhood and a huge crowd gathered. We entered the prisoner's dock. When they were questioned, the others all admitted their guilt. When my turn came, my father appeared with my son, dragged me from the bench saying, make the sacrifice, have pity on your baby. Hilarinus, the governor who succeeded the late proconsul Minicius as judge said, have pity on your father's gray head, have pity on your infant son, offer the sacrifice for the well-being of the emperor. I will not, I replied. Are you a Christian, said Hilarinus? I am, I confessed. Then Hilarinus passed sentence on all of us. We were condemned to the beasts. We returned to prison in high spirits. This is Perpetua. She followed a courageous king. She followed King Jesus. She understood that. And she followed him to her death. And actually, after witnessing her martyrdom, the, the ruler, the governor of the prison there, converted to Christianity himself. So Christian, let me ask you, do you shy away from following Jesus to places that will get you into trouble with the powers that be? King Jesus does not. So when it comes time to speak the truth, speak the truth, no matter the cost. One very relevant and very um, pressing way that this will occur in your life, if it hasn't already, someday soon, someone may come to you and say, I was born a boy, but I want you to call me a girl. I want you to call me she. And in that moment, you will need courage. Courage to say, I I care about you, and I am committed to the truth. It is neither loving nor true to call you something you're not. I follow a king who tells me to love, and a king who tells me not to lie. This will probably happen to you at some point. It may already be happening for some of you. So make up your mind right now. Make up your mind today. What will you say when this happens? No matter the cost. If I'm fired, if I'm suspended, if I'm ridiculed, even if it's just social shame. Sometimes social shame is actually the most powerful weapon used against us. And if you lack courage, if you're like me and you lack courage, look at Christ. Follow Christ. Your king does not call you to something that he himself has not done. He is not a slave master driving you with a whip from behind. He is a a courageous king leading the battle charge from the front. He has gone ahead. 
Christian, what kind of king do you need? Look at point three. You need a king who defeats sin and death. As I pointed out, there's, there's this irony to this passage. They see Jesus as a, a political, a worldly king who will free them from bondage to Rome. So they're proclaiming him as a king, but a false one. They've, they've missed what kind of king he really is. Look at verses 9 and 10. And those who went before and those who followed after were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Uh, You probably don't know. I didn't know. Hosanna means save us, we pray, or save us now. It's about asking for a savior. Grant victory and prosperity at this time. Save us now. And the Jews are actually quoting Psalm 118. They're singing the Old Testament. And like I said, they've recognized Jesus as the Messiah, but they've, they don't understand what he's there to save them from. They're missing the point. They don't notice that he's riding on a donkey and not on a war horse. You see, he is the true king and he is doing battle, but it's not against Rome or the Gentiles. He comes to free them from their own sin. Their big problem, the one thing that they can do nothing about, they're bound, they're slaves to it. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, this passage is for you. There's many kings you could follow in this life. There's many kings you could follow. And they can deliver you. Like Dave Ramsey delivered us from financial distress, they can deliver you from something, but they cannot deliver you from your big problem. And that is that you stand condemned before a righteous God. Your big problem is your sin and your guilt. You need to understand this, that you need Jesus. And Jesus did not primarily come to teach or heal or do miracles. He came to die for the sins of the world. So turn to Jesus today. Turn to Jesus today if you have not already. Christian, Jesus is the king you need because he defeated your greatest enemy. An enemy that you were unable and unwilling to take on. So rejoice Rejoice, your greatest enemy is defeated. Whatever happens from now until the day you die, the ultimate Goliath, your own sin and guilt is gone. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to our last point. Christian, what kind of king do you need? And I'll be brief here. You need a king who will return and return victorious. Look at verse 11. 
And he, that's Jesus, entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is strange, isn't it? Jesus has this big coronation, this big parade leading him up. If you know Jerusalem, he's going down the hill and then he's going up the hill into the city to the very top where the temple is on the highest hill in Jerusalem. He, he looks around and then he just walks back down, back out of the city. It's incredibly anticlimactic. Now Jesus gets to the temple and he sees the temple isn't right. It's not the way it should be. There's people there, money changers, people selling stuff. They're, they're trying to get rich off of the poor folks that come to the temple. They're using the temple as a way to get rich. But Jesus doesn't do anything. He deliberately waits. The hour is late, it tells us. The time is not yet right. But the next day he will, would return We're going to read about that um, next week, or maybe in two weeks we'll read about that. He's going to return and cleanse the temple, but tonight he does nothing. He He walks in, looks around, and walks away. He sees that it's wrong and does nothing. You see, the the triumphal entry was a, a premature coronation of sorts. Jesus' true coronation ceremony would occur after he dies, rises from the dead and ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father and thus taking his place as king of the universe. You see, we're all looking for a king and part of the reason we're looking for a king, it's it's a good reason actually, and I'll affirm it, you should be looking for a king. Part of the reason you're looking is because this world is messed up. It's not the way it's supposed to be. So we're looking for someone to bring us from where we are to where we, where we want to be. We see how bad things are and we want someone to deliver us. And we wonder, who is going to make this right? And in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, Jesus won the war. He won the war, but the battle continues. The skirmishes are still going on. The enemy has been beaten. Satan is done. He's a beaten enemy, but the battle continues because Satan is a sore loser and he clings to his principles of evil and he will never admit defeat. All that to say, we are looking for a king, someone to follow, to lead us to greener pastures. But the king that you need, Christian, the king you need is not here on earth. He is real. He is a real flesh and blood man. He's sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father right now. And he is coming to judge the world. Jesus is coming back to bring justice on earth, to right every wrong, to punish wickedness. He sees, just as he did that day in the temple, he sees that evil continues And he will return to bring justice. And until he returns, follow your king. Follow him. He may not be the king that you would have imagined for yourself. Or even the king you want. But he is the king that we need. 
and he will return. And I look forward to that day. We look forward to that day. Let me pray. God, we thank you um, that you did not meet our expectations. Our expectations are silly and wrong. They are human expectations, but we needed a Savior that was more than human. God, we needed you. Jesus, we needed you to come and defeat our greatest enemy, one that we ourselves were helpless to conquer. But you came and you, you defeated sin, death, and Satan. So Lord, we pray now, would you give us courage to follow you wherever you lead, no matter the cost, and to give us joy while we do it, Lord. Give us joy while we do it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.